Okay, good morning, everyone. All right, back to Romans 5. Been in this chapter for a little while. It's been good. It's been really good. Paul did an excellent job explaining through um, the subjects here, and Mark did a good job um, teaching us through that as well. So I appreciate that. We're going to wrap it up today, and then after today we'll be uh, moving through chapter 6, which probably take a while, as Mark mentioned before. Um, these, these chapters keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper um, into doctrine and theology, and Paul's doing that for a reason, um, as we expressed from the very beginning. He's writing to the church that he, he didn't set up, and he hasn't met them yet, and he's needing to give them every bit of information that he uh, believes that they should have and they need so that they are set on the right trajectory as the other churches are. So it's exciting. Um, all of five has been just as exciting as the rest of uh, this book has been, and it, it continues to be. So let's open in prayer, and then we can start diving into it. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace for your mercy on all of us here, on um, each and every one of our households, on this country. You have been gentle and kind and patient. Lord, oh, oh, so patient. And we pray for repentance in our own hearts that you allow us to see um, the sin within ourselves, Lord, and that we can repent of that, turn from that, and turn towards you. Ultimately, we're here to glorify your name and to give you glory in all things. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your word that is your truth. And thank you that you've given us this time each and every Sunday to study your word together as a group and to learn more about you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So into 5, at the end here, I'm starting in verse 18. Um, as always, it takes a little bit of context to uh, bring us back into perspective and into the scope of things. Um, if you recall back into Mark's lesson last week, um, we're going to have to begin there because another verse here, 18, starts so then. Uh, obviously, that's uh, wanting us to look back at what the so then is is about. So, um, all the way up to verse 12 and uh, through the end of the chapter, it's it's a continuous thought, um, and it doesn't it doesn't change. It doesn't end where Mark ended last week. It's just where we needed a break, um, so we had more time to explain further. Right. So, the thought continues from. Um, from the beginning of the book through, and I'm going to back up to just verse 12 here in chapter 5, where Paul says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of 
the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like that transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgression resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay. So on your worksheet here, starting in 18, now that we backed up, read through this again, um, got a refresher on what Paul's train of thought is here. In, in 18, we're seeing him refer to a parallel concept um, where one transgression resulted in what? Condemnation, yep. To who? All men. Okay, those are your blanks. Condemnation and all men. And then one act of righteousness resulted in what? Justification of life, as the text reads, to all men. So the parallel concept is he's saying it's going to all men one way and all men the other way. Okay, so that's the first thing we we read here. And um, this verse... Uh, can be a verse that some folks will use to justify that they believe that everyone is saved um, in the end, no matter what. Uh, so it brings up a question. If you're a Bible student and if you're wanting to know um, what Paul is, is talking about here, we need to uh, ask ourselves, is, is Paul teaching universalism? Now, we should typically know the answer, but we need to be able to back that up. Um, and I just wanted to use only what Paul's given us so far um, through Romans. So Paul has, has referenced um, salvation multiple times already, and it's just been in this, this letter to this church so that they have a solid foundation. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to get four readers. If I can get four volunteers um, to go back to Romans 1... And then um, Romans 3, and then Romans 4, and then Romans 5. And um, you can read through those verses 
And then the, the next person who's doing the next verse, um, you can pick up at the next one and, and read through those as well. And if you can just read them out loud, loud enough for everyone to hear, um, let's refer to, back to what Paul has already given us up to this point in, in the letter. So who's going to start in one? Go ahead. It's on your sheet there, 18 and 19. Sorry, I put down the wrong verses down. I don't know why. I was reading the right verses all week long. Um, read 16 and 17. How about that? <laughs> Scratch that out in your paper. I'm going, hmm, is she pulling one on me over there? <laughs> okay, back up two verses and read 16 and 17 for me. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad I'm awake enough to catch it. <laughs> Okay, so to answer our question in this verse, we go back to this, these two, 16 and 17. Uh, the power of God for salvation to everyone. It doesn't end there. That's not the end of the sentence. Everyone who believes. Okay, so there's our first reference just in this book, uh, this letter that we're looking at. Um, and then in 17, it, it uses the word righteousness. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's important. We're going to see that a lot through these other verses here. And but the, the righteous man shall live uh, by faith. Okay? So over to 322. Someone have that? Excellent. Um, and you want to read 28 real quick as well? Thank you. Perfect. Okay, so back here, which we've gone through, we've taught through this, um, and as a refresher again, um, the righteousness of God, again, the word righteousness is important, that's, that's God's holiness, um, through faith in Jesus Christ for all, it doesn't have a period there, it keeps going, for all who believe, okay, so that's important. Um, down in 28, man is justified by faith apart from the works as well. So there again, Paul's explaining how in those verses, this isn't everyone that's ever lived. Okay, so we're, we're moving on. Chapter 4, verses 5, and then verse 13. Great. Excellent, perfect. Okay, so we're looking, believes, uh, back to 5, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, has faith, is credited as right, his faith, faith is credited as righteousness. Okay, so there's another example, and then up to 13 that Jess read, um, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay, there's, there's multiple, and then over to 5, 15, and 16, I just read through those. Um, but in these verses, Paul's referring to the free gift in multiple, at, at multiple times. But the free gift is not like the transgression. Then further in 15, um, grace of God and the, and the gift by the grace of the one man. And then in 16, the gift is not like that. And then towards the end of 16, 
Um, but on the other hand, the free gift arose from any transgression resulting in justification. Okay, so just in this letter alone, um, those are some key elements we're pointing at that, no, Paul's not teaching everyone gets saved, um, no matter what they believe, right? But we, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of um, religions that will point back to verses like this that, that want to point out that um, everyone will get saved no matter what. And if we focus on one verse in the Bible at any time and just use that for theology and build our doctrine off of it, um, that, that can lead us down the wrong path. But it's good to know it's there, and it's good to use this to strengthen your testimony uh, rather than have it um, put you in a backpedal trying to figure out the answers. Okay, I'm going to come back to this um, once we get into 19, but we'll leave that hanging there for right now. I want to get to the next question that what is justification of life to all men? Anyone want to take a shot at it? All referring to those who believe? Are you sure or are you guessing? You're pretty sure, aren't you? She's pretty sure, right, Mark? <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that's where we're going. Um, justification, uh, I like this explanation of it that I found in, in a book. An act of God whereby he imputes to a believing sinner the full and perfect righteousness of Christ. Forgiving the sinner of all unrighteousness and declaring him perfectly righteous in God's sight, thus delivering the believer from all condemnation. I like that because it's a fuller explanation um, than what I used last time I was up here. So, Again, I'll, I'll repeat that if you want to write some of that down, but it's an act of God whereby he imputes to a believer, a believing sinner, sorry, to a believing sinner, the full and perfect righteousness of Christ. So God's act, he imputes to the believing sinner Christ's righteous perfectness onto the sinner. Forgiving the sinner of all his unrighteousness and declaring him perfectly righteous in God's sight. So the sinner who was not perfect in God's eyes by, act, by the act of God is given Christ's righteousness, made perfect, forgiven for his um, imperfectness, declares him perfectly righteous in God's sight, and in doing so, that delivers him from all condemnation, all the wrath of God. Right? Anything you want to add to that, Mark? Good to go? Okay, let's keep working through. 
Again, I'm going to touch back on um, some of those verses, but into 19, this is a contrasted concept. The free gift is not like the offense, as we see back up in in verse 15 and 16 and 17. Um, 19's pulling us back up into those verses, and it reads, For as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even even so, the obedience of the one, the many, will be made righteous. Okay, I found this interesting because in 18, Paul said all, twice. Now in 19, Paul says many, twice. So what's going on with that? Well, on, on your paper there, the blank that we're looking for, one man's disobedience resulted in many becoming what? Sinners, that's right. You got that one. Um, and in contrast to that, obedience of the one, many will be made righteous, correct? You got that? Okay. So, one man's disobedience all become sinners. Obedience of the one, not just one man, but the one, all will be made, uh, many will be made righteous, correct? Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so in my next question there, all who are in Adam are condemned. Who is the all? Right? Everyone's in green to that. Everyone who, who has been born. And why is that? Can we call back to our last couple lessons that Mark went over Pretty thorough detail. Right. Because of Adam, he imputed sin to all of us. And do we have a choice? No, no choice. If you want to say you have a choice, where does that lead you? <laughs> Sinful. <laughs> That's right. Can, can anyone say they, they chose from the beginning not the sin, and they've been able to keep that up. We haven't been able to, and why? Even if we knew, even if we knew about that when we were young children, why can't we do it? Why? Because, it's our yes, it's our nature, exactly, because it has been imputed to us. Okay, so let's let that sit there for a sec. All who are in Christ are justified. And who is the all? We've been talking about that. You've thrown out the right answers a couple times, but the all are those who believe, those who trust in Christ. Um, Christ's believers have righteousness imputed to them. Um, So we're looking at these. Paul's explaining it in, in thorough detail. These two men, Adam and Christ, they, in a way, represent all of humanity. Um. Everyone is identified in either Adam or in Jesus throughout time. We are all born identified with Adam. We don't have that choice. But we may be born again into identifying with Christ, right? What did Jesus say everyone that's going to the kingdom has to do? They have to be born again, right? So these, these two men are representing all of humanity and Everyone is of Adam and chooses to be of Adam. Not everyone 
is in Christ because not everyone chooses to be in Christ. The principle remains that since one man made us sinners, that we can be made righteous by the work of the one. So do you see how those, those are working together? Adam made us sinners in the way where this is our nature. We don't have the choice, yet we still choose it. Even as believers, we choose to sin every day in certain ways. Um, but we make that choice. And in Christ, the righteousness of God can be imputed to all those who believe. So Paul's going over that to summarize what he's, he's taught all through this chapter. And again, this wasn't a chapter when he, when he wrote it. He wrote it as a letter to the church. So it's an ongoing thought, but he's building off the principles that he began in. Um, and, and we're at this point where he's explaining the two differences between Adam and Christ. You got any questions, comments, feedback on those two verses so far? Everyone see how they are parallel, yet they are contrasted at the same time? In Adam, everyone is um, declared to be unrighteous and, and unholy, and we are sinful. And in Christ, it is the opposite of that. So the one, the obedience of the one, that many will be made righteous. So we know this isn't something that we can do on our own either. We know that um, choosing Christ isn't an act that we do of ourselves. That is something that is the act of God as well. Right? Back to our definition um, of what is justification of life to all men. The act of God is where that, that uh, the definition I picked that I like, the act of God whereby he imputes to a believing sinner the full and perfect righteousness of Christ. Forgetting the sinner of all unrighteousness and declaring him perfectly righteous in God's sight and delivering the believer from all condemnation. Okay. Well, very good. We're moving through that. Um, we'll keep on to verse 20. The law came in so that transgression would increase. Well, anyone else find that interesting? What do you know about the law beforehand, before we go into this verse? Why do you, what have you been taught? What do you know? Why is it here for us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. These are all good aspects of it. Um, Paul points up to verse 13 uh, where, where he's talking about 
until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. So on your thought there where you're going with that, yeah, it's, sin was, was there. Um, but without the law, we weren't held accountable for it. Uh, as Mark just went through last week, to the law specifically, we were held accountable to sin because we were sinners. Yes, Joe? Yeah, we were. We, it, it definitely uh, acts as something to show us more of the sinfulness of ourselves. It did. Right. Yeah, you're right. I know, but, right? Like, why is it saying this? This seems weird. Absolutely. You're right. You're on the right path. It was there, and there was sin beforehand. Um, and, and the Word says it does increase, so it must. So let's figure that out. Um, so on the first bullet point, the law was not given to make man more guilty. Something and something existed before the law. Any guesses there? Sin, yes. Sin and? That's true, but those aren't the ones I'm looking for. That's true, but it's still not what I'm looking for. What else existed before the law? Yes, but what else existed that happened to those who were in Christ, or not in Christ, but believed in God? Grace. So salvation. Sin and salvation. That's what I'm looking for there. Sin and salvation existed before the law. Um, as I, I loved how Mark explained, I even had to ask him to explain it to me more uh, this week before I taught, but we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners, right? Um, it doesn't make us sinners. We're already sinners, and we're sinning because we are sinners, because that is in us. The sin was already there, but salvation was already there as well. Uh, many before Christ uh, were saved through uh, their faith and their belief, correct? Absolutely, yep. Okay, so that's good. Let's keep that in mind and keep moving through. But the law exposes sin more accurately is the word I'm looking for there. And we, that's exactly what we're just talking about. Law exposes sin more accurately so that man can clearly recognize his transgression before a holy God. Some examples I liked were, um, think of the microscope and think of what we as humans knew um, about our, our own anatomy and biology. Uh, and as the microscope was developed and it's um, gotten better and better and better, we thought the cell for a while was the smallest molecule or, or piece or being within a human, but we know that that's not even close to being the smallest um, piece. There's, there's millions and millions of pieces within a cell itself, right? And science keeps on digging in further and further and further, seeing that there's so much more to life than what we understood previously. Um, so the law, in one way, is acting as a microscope, and we discussed that. It's letting us see further and further into ourselves uh, what sinful lives we lead uh, and to the world and, and the sin that's already in the world. It shows us that our sin is much greater than we think it is. And that's for 
those who believe in Christ. That's who, for those who are, are faithful in God. Um, that's what it does. So in that sense, it's showing us that more is there, but it's already there. We're just realizing it. So that's not quite increasing it, but it's making us aware. It's making the church aware. It's making believers aware, everyone who's in Christ, that it's there. Um, so I, I love hearing the stories about Martin Luther and, and the life that he was going down before he, um, before he was born again, really, and just realizing how much of a sinner he was and, and looking into himself. And it was just not worth living is, is where he was going with that because our sin is so deep and the law exposes that. Um, and, and it can expose it to those who will read the word and, and listen and apply it to ourselves. Yes, sir. All right. Next bullet point, three, number three down there. Uh, for the one who trusts in God, the law is a guide to righteousness. But for the one who rejects God, the law causes them to sin more. Okay, so I'm going to flip back to Romans 1, 25. Romans 1.25 reads, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And then verse 32, and this one really hits the nail on the head. And although they know the ordinance of God, they know the law of God. They know what he's put in place as the law. That those who participate, or sorry, those who practice such things are worthy of death. They know the consequence. They understand what God's word says and what the law says and what it leads to. But they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval for those who practice them. So what I'm looking at there is when the law is put in place, those who reject God not only see the law and see what it says, they intentionally do the opposite of it in spite of God. They are shaking a fist at him and making sure to go the opposite direction from what the law states. Um, and that does increase in sin. It increases the sinfulness of these people because they know what is set before them. Um, referring to those verses in chapter 1, they're aware. It's not the world that's unaware. It is those who are aware. They see it, they reject it, and they do it on purpose, and they try and get everyone else to do it with them. Okay, so that makes sense to me. Here where it reads that transgression would increase. Are you guys seeing that same thing there too? We're in verse 20. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. So it increased to us in our own understanding of it. Believers and unbelievers alike, as they read the Word, as they read the Bible as they read the law, they see it in themselves. So 
So our awareness has increased exponentially. It's, it's gone so much bigger than we ever would have imagined. Um, and it continues. And the more you read it, the worse it'll make you feel, right? <laughs> um, uh, because God's righteous holiness is just so unattainable on our own. Um, it helps us realize and open our mind and open our heart to God's holiness, to his righteousness, and what his, his law states is pointing out how far we have fallen from that. It's not a little ways. It's, it's so far down the wrong hole that it, it is literally impossible for anyone or anything to pull us out except for him himself, right? These things are impossible with man, but with God, nothing is impossible. Okay, so then the end of verse 20, grace abounded all the more. The law glorifies God because it reveals his patience and his mercy. So this law that's our magnifying glass, that's our microscope that we keep seeing deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into this hole of sin, just in our own hearts, let alone our friends and our family and our children and our parents and everyone else, um, if we continue reading and searching and looking at every aspect of our life, from every, every decision we make from the moment we wake up till we go to bed, the law will show us if, if we're making sinful choices or not. And in doing so, it's showing that God's patience and mercy is, is enormous. It's huge. It's, it's beyond what we can imagine because once we start seeing ourselves as those uh, sinful beings that we are, we wouldn't have much mercy for ourselves. We wouldn't have much mercy for, the, for others if we were um, in the seat of power that he was in. Um, his, his patience just extends beyond all imagination of what we can fathom. We're finite, and we can't understand that, and we, we, we won't in these, in these bodies that we're in now. But it's showing that, and it continues to grow. We know that we can't out-sin God. His grace always surpasses our sin. As, as believers, um, we, we just glorify God in that, and we are so thankful and grateful that um, his, his grace and His patience just abounds so much further than our sin goes. And we know He's paid for our sin that we commit today, that we committed previous in our, in our, in our life, and the sins that we're going to commit through the rest of our life, right? Those have been nailed to the cross already, and Christ already paid for those, and for the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation to come. Um, and that's how merciful he is to us, and to his creation, to his, his people, and those who believe. So sin, sin abounds as the law comes in, it increases. It increases in our own heads, and it increases externally for people rebelling against it on purpose. So therefore, God's grace abounds further. If sin reaches here, God's grace reaches further than I can reach. Okay? It just keeps going, um, and, and it reveals his patience and his mercy. And not just for the believers. He has patience and mercy for the entire world. All are under that um, particular aspect of his, his grace grace. 
and his mercy because he hasn't wiped us all out, right? He, he hasn't um, come in and, and uh, just taken everyone out as he rightfully can, as we probably would if we were in charge. Um, we wouldn't have the patience and the mercy that, that he expresses through all of that. So it's wonderful, and, and it's magnificent, and it, it's bad and it's good in, in both ways because sin just continues to increase, uh, but his, his love continues to increase even, even the more. Okay, on to the last section here. Verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin reigned in death. Paul uses the past tense here. Uh, sin was the king of death and determined every man's fate, killing the body and the soul. That's the position that we are put in through Adam's choice. Through Adam's sin, and forever after that, as his sins imputed to us, and we are guilty because we are made sinners, sin reigned in death. So from that aspect, sin wins. It, Satan gets what he wants, um, and he separates the creature from the creator. But so much more importantly, uh, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Christ conquered death, and he is seated in the place of power on the throne. So grace reigns through Jesus. It's not through ourselves. It's not through me. It's not through you. It's not through myself because I understand that this undeserved mercy of God is given a part of any reason in itself. God does it because it's his, his act. He does it. He allows, he allows us to see. He allows us to believe. He put Christ through that suffering for this reason. That he would have power over death. That sin would no longer reign in that death. And when grace rules, God's righteous standard is respected. God's holy standard that he set for us that we can see through the law. The law, through the believer's eyes, is, is respected. Um, it is our guide to righteousness. We can see it spelled out word for word, and we are, we are told to continue in the word and to continue studying, to continue learning and um, progressing in our faith and building off the foundation that Christ and the apostles have set for us, using the law as a guide, as a tutor. It's been mentioned as a tutor before, um, as a standard, so that we can respect God's holiness because it rules in our, in our life. Not because it's going to earn us anything, and we know that, and we got to remember that. 
And um, a lot of other folks in the world will teach that it is to um, earn, earn your uh, salvation, to earn a place of righteousness, um, to bring more to yourself, right? That's what it is said to be. Um, and pretty much everywhere else in the world besides the church of Christ itself, those works are to glorify oneself. And, and that's, that's, a world, that's what the world teaches us. But we know that's not true. It's to glorify God and to give him the glory for everything that he does. Um, grace doesn't accommodate sin. Uh, it faces it squarely and confronts it with the atonement on the cross, at the cross, and the victory won at the open tomb. Okay? So in this verse, we get into the answer next week as, as Mark will dive into that. But it's easy for someone to read and think, oh, well, if we sin more, then God's um, mercy will be more, His grace will abound more, um, and, and the righteousness of Christ will, will be furthered even more through the sin. Um, so the answer that Paul already, already know the question is going to come up, Paul starts to answer that as we move through into the next chapter. Um, but, but God's grace, it doesn't accommodate it. It, it just, it looks it straight in the face and, and the answer is Christ on the cross and that payment and that atonement for your blood. And for my blood, for our blood, for the world's, he, he did pay it all. And everybody that is in Adam, he paid it for them. But not everyone is saved. And we went through that. And that is because not everyone is in Christ. That's where it's different. And that's where it's contrasted, is that in Christ, everyone is saved. But if you're not in Christ... You cannot and will not be saved because you'll be an Adam. And in Adam, alone in Adam, you are condemned. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is powerful enough, right? Christ's, Christ's death absolutely will cover everyone that believes in him. We just, we just know that everyone won't because we're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. And um, the world continues to reject God and reject his law and reject his act of righteousness through the one, through the perfect and holy and righteous one who lived the life, who experienced all the temptation and um, everything that, that we experience in life. He, he did that. He lived it perfectly. So he paid that perfect penalty as the perfect sacrifice. So yes, it would cover if all were to believe, but they, it won't be that way. We don't know who is believers and who is not. We've talked about that before. Um, if everyone had a mark on their head who was supposed to be saved, we'd go talk to those people. And that's about it, right? <laughs> no, we're commissioned to, to share this with everyone, each and everyone. God does have a plan and a purpose in place that we are not made aware of. That is not our position. We are, are the tool to be used in his hand. 
Uh, we aren't the, the crafter. He is the crafter. I like how Tyler spelled that out up here on the pulpit a couple weeks back was um, that, that everyone in Christ is a tool and he can use us um, in any way he sees fit. And he uses those who aren't in him as tools too to get things accomplished in this world um, that are according to his will. And we can be used um, as we are meant to be used. Some of us are sharper tools and some of us are duller tools. Um, but I think as, as being in the workshop of Christ, we'd all want to um, be used for exactly what he wants to use us for. And best best way to do that is um, through knowing your Bible, knowing the Word, through prayer, through fellowship, right? We are here to sharpen each other. Um, we're not supposed to be out all by ourselves, as some would say, on the mountains, doing church with God alone. Um, that, isn't, that isn't church. You can be out there with God and you can pray and, and be with Him, but that, that isn't church. That isn't being sharpened by a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, he, he does that through us. So um, we can be used in, in many, many wonderful ways uh, as, as he intends, but we aren't the ones doing it. It's, it's him and we're in his hands, and he can choose any and every way to do that that's possible. Okay, that wraps us up in chapter 5. Does anyone else have any input or feedback, questions? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Timothy. Timothy four ten. First Timothy. Yeah, and and it is all all who are in Christ, because you're you're one or the other, and that's the options that are kind of presented. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't have a choice in one, and you do to a point have a choice in two, but it takes an act of God to get you to make that choice, and and His mercy and kindness is that act. So yeah, very good, and it is important in in, in evangelism, um, you know, especially here locally. It, it's something that um, I've talked through many times with uh, my. Uh, co-workers and neighbors and stuff like that. Awesome. All right. Well, we can wrap up right on time here. Thanks, everyone.